With the NowJobs app, you're only three clicks away from a new student worker. Let us introduce you to the NowJobs app. That's extra help in just a few clicks. No fuss, no administration. Download it now. Available in Belgium, the Netherlands, France, and soon in Germany. NowJobs. Get the job done. Ka-ching! Some podcasts do it for the fun. Some do it for the fame. Chad and Cheese, they do it for global effing domination. That's right. Bringing America to its knees was just the beginning. Now, they have their eyes set on conquering Europe. And they've drafted industry veteran Levan von Neuerhauser of Belgium to help them navigate the old country and bring HR's most dangerous podcast across the pond to trash talk like never before. Not safe for work in any language. The Chad and Cheese Podcast does Europe. Oh, yeah. Chad is heading to Europe soon. Now that's a border wall worth building. What's up, guys? You're listening to the Chad and Cheese Podcast does Europe. I'm your co-host, Joel Cause Chaos and Rock Like Amadeus Cheeseman. And I'm Chad. It feels like Europe in this place. My fucking AC's down. So wash. I'm still just leaving when you know him. And on this episode, talking some Google for Jobs with a German startup founder, cash money flowing into European companies that support remote work, and overemployment is now a thing. Blame it all on Ireland, I guess. Europe has a bunch of countries in it. European. Talent. Intelligence. What does it mean? Imagine a world where it's easier for you to find and know your target group. Where it's easier to recruit and attract the talent you need from a European talent pool. Every year, thousands of corporate recruiters, HR departments and intermediaries rely on Intelligence Group to make that dream a reality. Intelligence Group is the European market leader in recruitment talent intelligence with innovative dashboards and tailor-made research in 28 European countries. It is our job to empower you as a state-of-the-art, data-driven recruitment business partner. Recruiting with data is great. Recruiting with Intelligence Group is better. Learn more about our services at intelligence-group.nl Intelligence Group, market leader in European talent intelligence. How do you guys do this? I don't have AC today. I feel so pampered. I am hot. I am irritable. This is something that the Europeans work with all the time. You guys don't do AC, do you? Oh, we don't need AC. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> Climate change says you will at some point need AC. Trust me. Oh, yeah. We've got to go through our... our uh... Yeah, our mystery guest. Everyone, please welcome Marius Luther. Marius is founder and CEO at Hey Jobs, which is based in Berlin. Uh, they're doing some great things out there. So let's get a little bit about Marius the person, and we'll get to the company as we get into the show. Marius, welcome, and tell us a little bit about you. Thanks for having me. Um, pleasure to be here. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm Marius, uh, 33, in Berlin, uh, building up Hey Jobs, um, and uh, been in the tech entrepreneurship scene for the better part of the last 10 years. And after five years doing various other startups and realizing how hard it is to good staff um, and build up hey jobs in uh, 2016. And here we are. 
So are you Lex Luthor's good brother? Does he have hair or not? Uh, I'm losing my hair right now. That's for sure. So Marius has already agreed that Belgian beer is better than German beer. So Levin's good with him being on the show. We're all good. (laughs) I tend to agree with him. And like I had said, just as long as you're not talking about IPAs because Europe doesn't do a good IPA, even though they invented it. I don't get that shit. Who's got a shout out? Okay, so I've got one for Marius and Levin. Okay, so do you guys... Do you either of you uh, have Apple Plus streaming? No. I do, I think. I think my children (laughs) tricked me into it. (laughs) Okay, so it doesn't seem like either one of you have watched Ted Lasso, which is a comedy on Apple Plus, where an American college football coach is hired to run a proper football team in England. I'm looking for European listener feedback on this one because Joel and I love this, but we're a couple of dumb Americans. So we're looking, if you've checked out, if you're a European and you've watched Ted Lasso, let us know. Is it a good show from a European perspective? Because Joel and I are idiot asses over here in the U.S. We love it. So Apple Plus, Ted Lasso, let us know what you think. Love it. Note it. Shout out to uh, to VR. And who doesn't love that, everybody? My favorite topic. All right. Oh, God. Get ready for the metaverse for work, everybody. Facebook Horizon Workrooms was introduced last week. Think of it as uh, putting on a headset, being in a meeting that's virtual, talking to other emoticons or emojis about a meeting. So if you're tired of the uh, the panel-based Zoom meeting, get ready for the metaverse for work. Shout out to metaverse. Yeah. I, here in the US, I don't know if this is just kind of like a US thing where we think that we can make you know the whole VR goggles, no humans thing work. But what about Europe? Is Europe deep into augmented reality, virtual reality? What do you guys think? I mean, you're, you're both obviously high up in tech companies, founders and CDO. What do you think about this, this type of tech? Do you think it's here to stay? I think I saw it four years ago at some trade show. And never again since. It's probably here to stay, but I'm not really into it. There are certain applications where it could be fun and useful, but um, my children are dedicated gamers and they have those VR sets and they never use them because it's just too big of a hassle to put it on. I'm not a big believer. (laughs) Well, the, the question for me is, do you prefer the video Zoom call as it is now or would you prefer almost a virtual experience where you could actually sit at a table virtually and talk to people. And this thing apparently is pretty cool in that the audio is based on where someone is sitting in a virtual room and all Mm. that good stuff. To me, that sounds pretty cool. No, no, no. (laughs) You all prefer the, the, the Brady bunch style uh, panels on a screen. Well, I mean, you've got to wear a helmet the entire time or at least a headset, right? I mean, how much of a pain in the ass is that going to be? We think Zoom is a pain in the ass right now because we're looking at a screen. Can you imagine wearing that fucking concoction on your head all day? Having said that, I think there will be some pretty amazing solutions be built to, to do that kind of remote collaboration thing. And I think tech is just scratching the surface of what's possible and still too clumsy. But uh, I agree with you, I would not wear a helmet, but I think there will be a lot of cool stuff coming. What about the Elon Musk chip in the brain where all that just happens through yeah. the chip? <laughs> yeah, that, that's a nice one. Elon Musk, he like uh, chipped two monkeys and they could play pong against each other. It's great. I mean, that's science. Elon Musk for president, I keep repeating it. <laughs> president of the world. Yeah, Elon Musk, I tell you. 
Not really. It's something I like. It's uh, better than augmented reality. It's just cool. If it comes with a cyber truck, I'm all good. Yeah, it's called, <laughs> it's called Neuralink. So if, if listeners yeah. out there, if you haven't checked it out, check out Neuralink. It is, uh, it's pretty badass. I'm not putting the thing in my head. That's for goddamn sure. But it is that giant leap from stupid headsets on your face to that, that next generation. Can I give a shout out to some young Scots? Oh, yeah. Okay, so some new research from the CIPD, uh, that's the Chartered Institute of Personnel and Development, found that nearly half of all 18 to 30-year-olds in Scotland, that's 48%, feel the pandemic has harmed their long-term career prospects, and almost two-thirds say the pandemic has made their mental health worse. So drink up, Scots. Life is good. (laughs) Drink up, everybody. I mean, seriously. Uh, So Bill Borman and Peter Gold, I'm going to give these guys a shout out. Thanks for all the common good trolling on Facebook. It seems like whenever the U.S. does something stupid, which we've been doing a lot over the last, I don't know, four or five decades. Century. Yeah. (laughs) Europeans always love to troll us. Uh, Not (laughs) not like they're not doing it themselves, i.e. Brexit, that kind of shit. So uh, is it just kind of like a, a fun and games type of a thing or is is it, is it, do you think we are really that competitive or Europe is that competitive with the US? We're just jealous. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good one. What do you think, Marius? I mean, you're, you're right in the heart of it. What, what do Germans think? Is, is, is this a big competition? Because when you take a look at the funds, and we'll talk about VC here in a minute, when you take a look at it, funds happening for tech mm-hmm. in our space, in our space, the US blows the hell out of Europe. I mean, period. I think we had like yeah. 60, 60 deals last quarter, and Europe, I think, maybe had 10 at the most. So when there's got to be that competitive drive, right? I mean, as an entrepreneur, I think you look at Silicon Valley and what's happening in the US and you're like, oh, there's a lot of capital there. Um, maybe we should go there or raise that capital. So, and, and I think in general, there's admiration for the economic strength of the US. I think at the same time, Europe really likes the way that society works here and maybe politics slash social systems. And I think there is not a lot of jealousy in that regard uh, with regards to the US. So I think everyone is quite proud of of what we've built up here in terms of social security and so on. I do think there's not a lot, enough credit in in thinking about who came to America, right? It was the risk. It was a lot of people, but it's the risk takers, the people mm-hmm. who wanted a second chance, that wanted to start from zero. And then of the Americans, the ones who are the craziest were the ones who went west. Mm-hmm. So, so when you look at Silicon Valley and where the risk taking happens, where people are open to it and, and chance, I think that we don't think enough about the DNA of America yeah. versus other parts of the world and, and companies getting started and risk being taken. And that's what I'm a bit scared about, that we are not taking enough, nearly enough risk in, in Germany or in Europe on the whole. And that obviously means 10 years from now, 20 years from now, you know, how, how relevant will we be and how healthy will these economies be? If you look at tech already, mm-hmm. uh, the big US companies, um, basically, I, I read the other day that Amazon was doing the same in sales as the GDP of Spain or something. I mean, <laughs> it's pretty crazy, right? It, it is. Well, I mean, Germany is known for being disciplined and not really taking risks, but taking more measured risks, right? So do you think that has been an issue with regard to not being able to innovate as quickly because we got the dumb Americans that are over there and they'll fucking try anything? Yeah, it, it has to do with appetite for risk. And um, we also 
also don't have as much capital available, right? So our ah. pension funds would rather invest in, I don't know, forests and uh, instead of tech startups. Yeah. What's the company out of uh, Germany that like copies everybody? It's like two brothers. Windu. Marius actually worked for them, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So they're called the Samba Brothers, and um, their strategy pretty early on was really to copy every successful uh, U.S. company. So they mm -hmm. started with a copycat of eBay back in around 2000 and sold that to eBay. And then they copied Groupon and um, eHarmony and Airbnb, which I was a part of. I was recruited there and was my first job. And we kind of built Airbnb in Europe and uh, before Airbnb crushed us basically. But it was also a function of uh, the amount of capital that was then poured into Airbnb meant no one else really had a chance anymore. We have a great story with Douglas Atkin, who was actually the um, the head of community over at Airbnb. And he was at Airbnb when the, the, the brothers were trying to sell. And he was a part of that discussion. And it was one of the podcasts we actually have done, uh, one of the series of podcasts that we've done. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was an amazing, amazing discussion. So it's good. It, it's interesting to hear the other side of the table on this one. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, but that. I can tell you, I was in the dis discussion as well. And he's, he's absolutely right in how, how he described it. Basically, for context, uh, 12 months earlier, um, Oliver Zamba did exactly the thing with same thing with Groupon. And Groupon bought his European Groupon clone for like a billion or so. So he had proof that that worked. Yeah. And he tried exactly the same with the Airbnb founders, but they just hated him out of the gate for copying everything. And I think there was just too much um, hate to make a deal, basically. Yeah, that's kind of hard to get through. Hey, Levin, I, I hear you've got an event coming up. What, what's happening on your side over there? Uh, it's uh, the event of the year, not just a event. It's uh, <laughs> the 25th of November. We have our annual e-recruitment congress. And... Uh, it's this year in Ostend, Belgium, with a beautiful view on the sea. And we're having some friends of the show, friends of this show. Dee is coming. She'll be talking about uh, remote work, everything concerning it. We have Aiden Gordon coming. We have... Uh, Steven Rothberg. Is he coming? Yeah. Steven yeah, Rothberg. Steven yeah. is coming, but I still need to sign his contract. So uh, <laughs> just... Uh, Sorry. He'll be coming. He'll be coming. No worries. And we also have Chad and Cheese, who will be... Hosting a bar? Did oh, I yeah. Nothing more sexy than Chad and Cheese at the bar. Let me tell you. Yeah. <laughs> D. Coakley, D. Coakley coming from, she was actually on, I think, our second or third show. She was our mystery guest host. So, going to be able to meet her face to face. That's awesome. I'm looking forward to it too. You're going to do a show from the Congress, I hope. Of course. That's the hope. If we can stay sober. Uh, you're not supposed to stay sober because we're in Belgium and we're giving you a bar filled with beer. Damn. We might not leave. I probably won't leave. There's no reason at that point. So yeah, no, we're, we're really stoked about it. Everybody who's out there, get ready. This is more of a teaser than anything else because registration is not open yet, but, but leaving when it is, who should be coming to this conference? All recruiters and everyone interested in recruitment marketing, uh, HR tech, those kind of things. But mostly, I guess, recruiters and HR managers. We have 350 places. It's uh, limited. And normally it's uh, sold out pretty easily. So uh, don't wait. But um, registration will be open half September, I guess. And maybe next show we can talk about some people, some topics, uh, what we're going to talk about. Awesome. But it will be about 
e-recruitment, and I'm going to give you the title. It's Digitally Ever After. Like you have a fairy tale, happily ever after, but now post-COVID, it's Digitally Ever After. Are we going to be talking about virtual, about um, virtual meetings, not augmented reality, but uh, the real stuff, like virtual employer branding, because people now lost their camera anxiety, and they actually like first interviews to be virtual. So we have to make sure that we enable our own teams to uh, step up their virtual game and nice. give them a good home studio, etc., and teach them how to get most out of it. And that will be a big topic. Yeah, we have, We're having Jim Carroll. He's a master on the subject. It's a Canadian guy who's coming over to show what's possible with virtual stages, like uh, virtual meetings, and how you'll be able to do virtual employer branding on a top-level scale, these kinds of things. But we'll talk about it next time. Excellent. All right. Well, let's start with our, our guest here. So German recruiting site Hey Jobs has seen growing demand in recent months with the Berlin-based startup looking to expand its staff base, with the company planning to hire 70 employees by the end of the year. Launched in 2016, Hey Jobs serves 2,500 customers, all in Germany and a little bit worldwide, and employs around 160 people. In 2019, the company closed a $12 million U.S. Series A funding round with total funding at $15 million. So, Marius, let's start here. We're talking more and more about Google for Jobs making waves in Europe. How has Google impacted your business? For the uh, for the size and impact that Google could have, surprisingly uh, limited impact uh, so far. I think they came on the stage, when is it, two years ago, two and, two and a bit years ago into Europe, uh, into Germany. Well, obviously, uh, you know, we optimized for them. We tried to give our clients the best exposure on Google for Jobs. Um, but to be honest, um, as a, as a percentage of the total kind of applicants that we that we generate for our customers, it's it's been pretty nascent, um, like below ten percent or so. And I've I've hoped always that they improve the product further um, to to work to, towards more quality. To be honest, and I think that's what they're doing right now with these changes that are coming October first that you mentioned before, um, as well as in my opinion, um, monetizing could also be a good thing again, for quality, right? So um, basically separating quality jobs that employers really want candidates for from these kind of ghost jobs that are just created to be on Google for jobs to draw applicants into some kind of talent pool. So there's a lot of shady stuff going on on Google for jobs as well. A lot of scamming and whatnot. Now, now you are, and correct me if I'm wrong, Hey Jobs right now is solely in Germany. Now, I would assume that the, and I could, again, could be wrong, the the competition in Germany, the country alone, is much different than obviously the, the competition you're going to face when you expand. So why would you say that you're not getting as much traffic out of Google when the, when the competition shouldn't be as big, right? Yeah, I think it's more a function of what else we do that drives a lot more traffic. So maybe a bit of background. So I think um, compared to the U.S., the European market, labor market, seem to be a lot more dry. So what I mean by that is when you put up a job post in the US, what I've seen is you get a couple of hundred applicants often, not all good quality. Um, I'm not saying they'll all stay for a very long time um, when you hire them. So I think there's a lot more like liquidity turnover and so on. But in, in Germany, when we entered the market, what customers were telling us is like, I, I put a job ad on like leading job boards and I get like two candidates 
five zero in for like 30 days spending a thousand euros or something so um what we figured is you need to take a much more active approach in germany um to find candidates you cannot just list the job and so we are spending a lot of marketing money actively on channels like facebook and instagram and so on trying to drive applicant volume and i guess it's that function that not as many people are actively searching for jobs that means google for jobs doesn't have the same traffic that it maybe has in the us what sources are working really well for you if not google for jobs where's most of the traffic coming from what what we see is most candidates we call them like passive candidates so they're not actively looking for job but jobs but they're somewhere on the internet right they are you know uh, watching videos on youtube or they're browsing their instagram feed and so we try to target those people wherever they are as long as they are a good fit for the job that that we are trying to fill for the customer and so for every individual customer job we're trying to find the best talent and the best channels are the largest internet platforms they are instagram facebook youtube google display network please say tiktok and, and other sites and we ha we haven't tried tiktok <laughs> yet but um, ah. uh, everyone is begging me to try it i'm not sure how much quality candidates i can generate there but um, maybe i'm too old <laughs> Joel has been working on his floss dance for about three months now, so he can finally start posting to uh, to TikTok. <laughs> Almost as good as my running man. Almost as good as my running man. But have you seen any recruitment success on TikTok in the US? Is it something that companies use a lot? I would say they're, they're just trying to figure it out now, and it's more about uh, recruitment marketing than it is really anything else. So it's more brand focused at this point as it as opposed to yeah. uh, being able to, to drive anybody to a specific job, per se. And TikTok's, TikTok seems to be serious about it. Yeah, but it's mostly like, uh, look, we're on TikTok, we're cool, we're a young company, you, sh you should feel at home at our company because we're on TikTok. But I haven't seen any nice case yet. No, not yet, not yet. So quick, quick question with regard to Hey Jobs. It sounds like you're almost like a German version of ZipRecruiter. Are, are you guys seeing any kind of impact with Indeed, ZipRecruiter, some of the bigger names that are happening here in the US? Are, are you seeing Glassdoor. that at, at all? Yeah, Glassdoor, are you seeing that at all in Germany? Or is it pretty much just more localized, focused uh, sites that are that are doing what you guys are doing? No, actually, I mean, uh, we feel like ZipRecruiter is feeling towards Indeed the same way here in Germany. So Indeed expanded into Germany and they are our number one competitor. There's also pretty large German job board called StepStone, which is also a big competitor. But but really, we are we, we are trying to prove that that we can do better than them, uh, same way as the recruiters in the US. Marius, is uh, StepStone still big in Germany? I know it's their home base, but... Uh... They're still extremely big on the commercial side. But uh, what has happened over the last years is that with a decrease in search traffic, obviously, these job boards that are just waiting for traffic to come yeah, have deteriorating results for customers. What's growth look like for you guys? I, I assume you're going to walk outside of Germany at some point and come to America. When's that going to happen? Yeah, but I think Europe is an interesting place first. So our, our vision here is to, to help those 200 million uh, European workers um, that are mostly non-white collar. So we, we very much focus on what we call blue collar roles and, and skilled workers. So the nurses, the drivers, um, and help them find the right job. And I think um, uh, we believe that that is a trend across Europe and we want to solve that across Europe first. Mm -hmm. 
What other uh, tech around Europe has intrigued you and what, what sort of trends have you excited, whether you're going to build those into uh, Hey Jobs or maybe other companies are, are just really interesting to you right now in Europe? Yeah, I mean, I think generally in HR tech, there, there's kind of two spaces, right? There's the, the, the marketplaces, so the zip recruiters, Indeed, and us that actually try to bring talent to companies. And, and they are quite rare um, because they require a lot of investment to build. But then there's a lot of exciting kind of SaaS companies, right? Software as a service companies coming out. There's one in, in the Netherlands called, I think, Test Gorillas, which does automated assessment that I find interesting. There's Personio out of Munich, which is like an HRM ATS for SME customers. That's exciting. Yeah, there are many ATSs. Um, so uh, there, there's video interviewing platforms. Um, I guess those are the more exciting uh, companies. Yeah. So it sounds like your platform is very Zip-like. It's very very Zip Recruiter-like. It's more marketplace. It's more push. It's more targeted. Are, are you guys at all looking to be targeted by a company like Zip Recruiter because they need expansion plans and to be able to build in uh, Germany is a hell of a lot harder than actually buying an organization like Hey Jobs. It's it's not part of the plan. Part of the plan is to become the leading talent platform in Europe. Um, and I think what you need for that is a very good local understanding um, of both sides of the market. So you need to understand what talent wants uh, and you need to understand what the employers want. And what we've seen is when international companies come in, it's very hard without a local feet on the ground kind of to, to really understand that um, and, and understand these HR departments. For example, in Germany, selling CPC cost per click just doesn't work. Recruiters are like, why? why? They're like, it's too complicated. I don't want clicks. I want applicants um, and hires. <laughs> and But I'd rather pay uh, per per month per ad because then I, I, I can control my budget much better, right? Uh, things like that. Um, but you have to understand these intricacies of the market, I think, to be successful. Yes. What I heard there, Chad, was if if Stepstone writes a big enough check, we'd be open to it. <laughs> I, think, I think that's what I just heard. I don't know. No, I think we're very happy to be an entrepreneurial company on our own ground. Um, I don't have ambition to be part of a larger corporate. You said European leading platform. What are the next steps? Where are you going to? Uh, yeah. So as a marketplace, again, what you have to be very careful is um, about a concept called network effects, which basically means in a given city for a given job type, you have lots of liquidity. So basically saying in Berlin, we know all the call center agents and we have all the call center companies as customers. And so by nature, that means you should focus, right? Ideally on one city or one country, but then on multiple. So we, we will go into countries where we believe we can be the number one platform with dominant network effects. So these might be rather smaller countries. Um, they might include countries like Belgium, Levin. So Amir will meet again. You're welcome. Do you think Do you think there's a place for us in Belgium, Levin? Is there, is there a need for, for this product? There's always a place for you, Marius, in Belgium. But um, Time Partner, one of our own companies, uh, is one of our clients. I'm going to ask them how happy they are. And if they are, we will promote you. Oh, that's so kind. Give me Ooh. some feedback if they're not happy as well, please, so we can improve. And not to mention, Marius, there's a conference coming up in November. There's no reason why you can't be in Belgium. Ah, Marius, you should be joining our conference and meeting the right people. If I'm invited, I'll, I'll gladly consider it. Thank you. You are invited. You are the 25th of November in Ostend, Belgium. All this love is making me a little sick. <laughs>
All right, guys. So uh, of the trends in Europe that are really hot, remote work is on fire. So more European companies are emerging to facilitate remote recruitment. Let's let's go through a short list and maybe we have something to say and maybe we don't. But one of the more interesting ones that I'm guessing uh, Marius has some opinion on is German startup Work Motion. Uh, they were in the news for announcing a $24 million Series A recently. They help companies hire employees where they don't have a legal entity, which is a little confusing for the Americans on the call. Uh, WorkMotion will hire an employee locally and the employee works for the customer. Number one, what do you think about the the, the emergence of remote work? And can any, either of you explain to Chad and I legal entity and why that's such a pain in the ass? Yeah, happy to go. I mean, first of all, remote work, I think super exciting, especially, um, but I, what, what I realized last year during COVID is something interesting. 10 years ago, everyone was like, software engineers are the scarce resource. We need to get them, da, 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 da. Now, everyone has realized software engineering can be done remote. So uh, the world is my oyster. I can, I can hire from anywhere. Um, I can employ people anywhere. So suddenly, kind of the recruitment pain, if you enable remote work, has gone away versus for local frontline jobs, it hasn't gone away because these jobs can't be done remotely. So that's just a trend I found super interesting. I only realized that last year. And then on work motion, I guess, I mean, I, I'm not an expert in remote, but what I understand is whenever you employ someone somewhere, you need to register them with the local authorities and they need to be an employee in that state and pay taxes in that state and get social insurance in that state or, or country, basically. And for a startup, it might be very difficult. So if we had to open a Spanish entity and a Greek entity and an Indian entity just to employ someone, and as I understand it, what WorkMotion does is they have these entities, they employ these people, and then essentially have a contract with you that these people actually work for you. So in that way, they just so save you a lot of admin work. What are you seeing in Belgium, Levin? Is this something that you guys are seeing much like Marius is? Belgium is a weird situation, meaning it's a really, really, really small company. So remote work has never been an issue up to COVID, of course. But there was always like nearshore and, and offshore, mostly in IT jobs. But now remote mm -hmm. is growing. And like Marius said, it's an interesting uh, evolution. We're looking into it as well. So I guess... People like uh, D who are uh, into legislation will have a lot of work because remote work is always connected to legislation and legislation is really a local thing in Europe. How do you guys see this impacting? I mean, labor unions I know are strong in, in a lot of countries. How does that impact them, if at all? They are probably against it. They're against everything. <laughs> yeah. <basically. laughs> so they're not sure why they're against it, but I'm sure they're figuring it out and uh, they'll find something. But uh, in Germany, for example, uh, there are problems with uh, the damping industry, for example, in the meat industry. Uh, it's not allowed anymore to put people on a temping contract in the meat industry. And that's probably basically due to uh, the unions. But uh, I'm not sure if, or if it's something you found out, Marius. Is it a problem you feel in Germany? Well, I think it's interesting. Like the, the laws and the legislation is just not made for international work, right? So everything is like, oh, if you have, if you have your offices here, then it means all the, your people work here in the office and, and so on. I think policymakers have to essentially wake up or, or, or are totally caught by surprise that suddenly a Berlin company might not have staff in Berlin, but everywhere in the world. And I think it's a big bit of a gray zone, to be honest, how exactly this is 
working. You would think that there would be at least this this more ease of use to be able to share and swap talent. Well, in, in Europe, you have something called, I think, free movement of, of labor, people and capital. So you everyone in the EU can work everywhere without any hassle. So that's possible. But usually they have to move the country and live there. And then they're employed here. So for example, at Hayjobs, we employ people from 28 countries, I think, here in Berlin. But they're all registered in Berlin. Gotcha. So the, there's something happening in, in America that you guys, the, the two Europeans, may or may not be aware of. But historically, people in the U.S. sort of gravitate toward metropolitan areas, right? So New York, Chicago, Atlanta, Dallas, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And because of remote work, we're seeing a trend, and we talk about this on the show, of smaller smaller areas uh, creating incentives for people to move from bigger cities to smaller areas. And they can do that now because of remote work. So w- living in a smaller city is is less expensive. You have amenities. And by the way, they'll, they'll pay you 10 grand if you stay for three years or whatever it is. So when you look at remote work in Europe, my guess is that the trend to met- metropolitan areas is, is is real as well. Like mm-hmm. if you're if you want to gravitate toward London or Paris or Berlin, mm-hmm. are you guys seeing an exodus from metro areas, and are you seeing smaller cities trying to incentivize uh, workers to move to smaller areas because now they can work remotely? I think it's too early to make a conclusion on it. The coming years will show it. In my environment, my personal experiences uh, after COVID, people suddenly realized it's no fun at all to be sitting in an apartment in Brussels when you're locked up. Mm-hmm. And the prices of houses with a big garden in the, the rural areas have gone up. Mm-hmm. So I think there is a, a movement from away from the big cities, people wanting to live abroad and probably work more from, from home. So remote is a thing. But uh, the coming years will show it. But I think, again, the U.S. moved so much quicker in terms of also embracing fully remote. So most employers in Europe, um, including ourselves, are saying no to fully remote at the moment. So they're saying, yeah, maybe some more days at home. That's fine. But we still want the office to be the, the focal point. And, and also, so there's been talk about moving to the countryside. But I think after the lockdown has been over and everything is reopening, people also value commercial areas again in the sense of, oh, I can go to a restaurant every night and it's a different one. Yeah. Yeah. So we've also seen, I mean, like Croatia has an 18 month digital nomad program where you don't have to pay any taxes or anything like that. But obviously you're spending money in their economy while you're there during that 18 months. Do you see those types of programs prospectively blowing up to be able to pull some of that economic development, that money into uh, different, not just different countries, but maybe different uh, locales, different uh, smaller cities. There is in the south of Europe, south of Italy, for example, there are many little villages which are running empty because of the people leaving. And now there are actually programs trying to get people back to those villages. And you can get your house for free or for just a few euros if you promise to be living there for a few years and try to work from there. And if you try to renovate it, and these are things we'll be seeing more and more. And it's the digital nomads are uh, getting a revival. So uh, I just want to 
uh, highlight a few companies that are getting some money. We talk about remote quite a bit. They're a, they're a Portuguese one, uh, unicorn. Maybe Chad will visit them when he's out in Portugal. Yes. Um, an Israeli company called Papaya Global has raised $100 million. Uh, they help with global workforce management. Oyster, I know we've talked about. They're out of London, uh, Dublin-based Boundless, which we've actually had on the uh, the European show here. And a company called Omnipresent that's raised 11 million pounds um, in Series A. So there's a lot of money in European companies uh, for remote work. So this is a trend that we will continue to see. Let's take a quick break and uh, we'll talk about overemployment. Fuck is that? Europe has a bunch of countries in it. Everyone deserves their best job. That's what Fiji stands for. We make a big difference for independent recruiters with the strength of our fast-growing recruiter network. At Fiji, you can be your best self and work for the company you'd like whenever and wherever. We support you with the best digital and online recruitment marketing. We offer professional business development support, recruitment specialist training, and a bit of rebellious network meetings. Let's join strengths and help more professionals find the job they love. Celebrate recruitment and join Fiji at FYGI.nl. All right. So this one's out of uh, the UK's The Independent. Uh, Some people are secretly doing multiple salaried jobs while working from home and earning up to 440,000 pounds per year. Uh, The story from The Independent highlights how a new work-oriented global community has emerged made up of people working two or more full-time jobs to vastly increase their salaries. The quote-unquote overemployed community was born thanks to work-from-home possibilities. Uh, One person in the story, thinking uh, he was going to be sacked or fired, took another job and waited around for a severance that never came. He's decided to just work the other job while he's waiting to get severance. So he's got two jobs and now he's thinking about getting a third. Uh, One anonymous member of the overemployed community said, working more than one job is not actually illegal. It's just taboo. Don't give your employer a reason to look into you and they'll never bat an eye as long as you're meeting your metrics. Not legal, but I can't imagine employers being okay with most employees who do this. Marius, what do you think? Crazy, right? Uh, crazy and smart. Um, but I remember there was this thread on Hacker News a few years back where, where some Russian developer completely automated his, his engineering job and took a full-time salary remote but worked like 20 minutes a week and the rest his script was doing or something like that. Um, but it, it poses an interesting question, which is are we paying for time? working time or are we paying for results right because isn't that a really smart employee automating automating his work right so um yeah yeah and and employees keep on like my own employees keep on asking me maris um should we be measured in how many hours we work or is there is there an output metric i can be measured on and i think in some disciplines like for example sales it's quite easy right but in others um, including engineering, I find it quite hard to measure people on on output. Would you be okay with an employee having multiple full time jobs? No. <laughs> oh hell no! This is the thing: is that you know, workforce economics, or at least the the world of work, is is changing, and we're so used to companies owning the worker's time. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. And this is a problem with companies who have fucking control issues. You know, you want a deliverable from me. 
right? I have to, let's say for instance, I'm in sales, I have to hit a sales goal. Just as long as I'm not working for a competitor and maybe I'm doing a side hustle or something like that, it's none of your business what I'm doing. Although that's not how we've done business over the years, right? So Mm -hmm. I guess the big question is companies are having issues finding workers right now. So what do we care just as long as we're getting the job done? Yeah. And I mean, there are, there are freelancers that are, that are offering that, right? That say, hey, I program something for you and something for another company. And, and most people don't have a problem with that. I think it's just then you're paying for the project, the outcome and not the, the, the time, the input. Yeah, true. But it's, it's also about loyalty. I mean, if I'm paying a freelancer to program something for me, then he's been spending 100 hours on it. The stuff is ready. And then he can go to a competitor of mine and he can say, I can sell it to you for 30 hours because I've already done lots of homework paid by House of HR. That's not okay. It's about loyalty and it's not okay. And in a typical con- contract, it specifies when you will be working from nine to five uh, these days, blah, blah, blah. And if you work outside the hours, it's perfectly fine. But then again, it's about legislation. In Belgium, it's okay. It's no problem. I checked with Thomas Martens, our um, company lawyer, and definitely no problem, but it would be a problem in the Netherlands and in France, apparently. So uh, it depends. And in my opinion, it's also about the abuse of company material. I know a case about uh, a guy who had a company car, and after hours, he was driving for Uber. That's a problem, of course. Oh, my God. Yeah, but it's, Come um, on. it's pretty creative, but it's a problem. Or let's say I've got a company laptop and I'm working from 9 to 5 for House of HR, but from 5 to 11, I'm working for someone else. And I'm working on the laptop from House of HR. Maybe it's not a problem. But what if it was a phone and I'm calling on the company cost? Or if I'm using databases from a company, and I know a case like that, <laughs> there was a, a girl working for a marketing and her husband had a small enterprise. And after hours, she was doing his marketing. And we were all totally fine with it. But then suddenly she was using our databases. And it's been a long time ago, so it's no problem. But uh, she was using our databases uh, to do the marketing for her husband. And then it becomes a problem. So you have to keep, <laughs> keep things separated. And there's also, I remember a, a case from a few years ago where someone was a full-time employee and they were managing uh, a team through Upwork to do his work. Yep. And he was he was discovered because all of the programming that he was supposed to do was happening at night because someone in India was doing right. it. So they, they figured out how he was doing that. But to me, there's also a competitive question. If you were, you know, if you were Pepsi, would you be okay work, having someone work for Coke and Dr. Pepper? So, okay, so that's that's an easy one. Yeah. You can get in there and you can do the non-compete piece, right? And that's the one that everybody wants to fall back to is the competitive Which we're piece. trying to throw out, by the way. We're trying well, to get rid of non-competes, right? Yeah, but if you're talking about something like this and you're talking about, you know, IP, it's something entirely different, right? Not to mention also using using House of HR equipment to do work for somebody else. I mean, there are lines that can be drawn so that you can't do these things. But I mean, overall, this should be a non-compete type of conversation. And like you said, it's about IP. If I am being paid to develop something for company A, that company won't be happy when I'm selling it to company B without them knowing it. And, and by the way, doesn't doesn't this trend just support the gig economy? Like, doesn't this trend just support companies having more and more contract workers because they're probably working multiple jobs anyway? Definitely. Yeah. If you're a yeah. freelancer, no one can be against it as long as you are loyal to your, com- to your company and if you don't work for a competitor. But um, if you are paid... As a normal, uh, with a normal salary, then it's, yeah. I can imagine companies being against it. 
I probably I wouldn't mind if someone was working after hours as long as the work he's doing for me is okay. I would be okay with it, I think, in certain situations. There's also in America, your employer is usually your healthcare provider. So there is the added issue of like, okay, well, I'm hired, I'm paying you as a full-time employee right. and I'm paying your insurance. Like you shouldn't be able to go work someone else. But in Europe, your government pays for all the healthcare. So that's not an issue, right? Well, basically, the working class pays for it. <laughs> I feel it's two kind of work relationships, as you guys mentioned, right? One is freelance, which is a bit more kind of risk reward, right? You, you, you don't have any security to fall back on, but you have way more flexibility. You can set your own rates, et cetera, or you choose the employee type relationship where the employer provides for you to some extent and you're also expected to be loyal to them. But I think people should freely choose whatever model they prefer. Yeah, I'd like to throw one more thing in there is that we've talked about loyalty a lot and I don't believe that exists anymore. So as companies want to try to fall back on loyalty and they haven't been loyal, at least here in the US, I don't know that much uh, about Europe, we want to talk about loyalty. And to be quite frank, I don't believe it exists anymore. I think we do have to have uh, boundaries for IP to ensure that you know we're not creating for one and sharing with others. But overall, I think the the the, the idea of a company is your family. You have to be loyal. Those types of things they're done. They're over. I hope you're wrong. I still believe in loyalty, but not loyalty towards a company, but loyalty towards people. We had mm-hmm. Rika, a few episodes in the last episode. Uh, my CEO, my boss, I'm loyal to Rika, not particularly to House of HR, but I'm loyal to my boss and it would be a stab in the back if I would do something against her. So I think people are still loyal, but mostly to people not working for the same company for the whole career. That's a different. Good point. Yeah. yeah. Let's end it on that warm note. Let's give uh, our guest co-host Marius a round of applause. Marius, for those listeners who want to learn more about you or Hey Jobs, where should they go? Heyjobs.co. H-E-Y-J-O-B-S.co. Love it. Guys, it's been fun. We out. We out. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to what's it called? The podcast. The chat. The cheese. Brilliant. They talk about recruiting. They talk about technology. But most of all, they talk about nothing. Just a lot of shout-outs of people you don't even know. And yet, you're listening. It's incredible. And not one word about cheese. Not one. Cheddar. Blue. Nacho. Pepper Jack. Swiss. So many cheeses. And not one word. So weird. Anywho... Be sure to subscribe today on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. That way, you won't miss an episode. And while you're at it, visit www.chatcheese.com. Just don't expect to find any recipes for grilled cheese. It's so weird. We out! The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.